There is no substitute for the preaching and teaching of God's Word. Each weekday on Enjoying the Journey, Scott Pauley leads us in a brief study of Scripture. Today, on the Weekend Pulpit, we are happy to share a full-length Bible message given through Scott's pulpit ministry. These messages were recorded live in a local church or gospel event in recent days. It is our prayer that the message will be a help to you today. tonight has been powerful because it's all been about Jesus. I, I'm going to be honest with you. This is the end of the summer at this camp and most camps, and uh, I was watching this staff tonight, and their spirit and their heart still in it. This is your first week of camp, maybe. Maybe some of you came back, but for them, they've been in camp all summer long, and I love to see their heart still in it and pointing people to Jesus. I'm so thrilled you're here this week and so honored that I get to spend the week with you. I love camp. God changed my life in a summer youth camp. Maybe I'll tell you more about that this week. Uh, my son just got back from a camp. One of our daughters has been working in a camp all summer. I believe in it. And uh, I'm convinced that God's going to do some things in our hearts this week, and I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And I'm not only looking forward to preaching to you, I'm looking forward to spending time with you. I'm going to be around if I can pray with you about something, chat with you about something. I want to do that. And I want you to come and speak and say hello and let's get acquainted. I want to invest my life in you this week. And I want to thank you for taking time at the end of the summer to, to be here with us for these few days. Now, so I know who I'm talking to, let me just ask, uh, how many, I'm just curious, are going into the seventh grade this year? Would you raise your hand? Seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth, eleventh. And where are the seniors? Would you wave at me just a second? Very good. Congratulations. And uh, how many of you are from the north? You are Yankees. Would you raise your hand, please? All you Yankees, God bless you. How many Southerners are among us? I'm just curious. About to start a conflict again here, aren't we? On the count of three, I want you to shout out what state you're from. I live in the great state of West Virginia, wild, wonderful West Virginia. And I think there are a few Mountaineers here this week. That's good. On the count of three, I want you to shout out where you're from. Ready? One, two, three. That's great. That's a great place. Wherever you said, it's a great place. But for this week, we're all in this place, and we're all together, and we're going to do one thing in the meetings. We're going to find out what it is God wants to say to us. Really, I'm not the preacher this week. They said I'm the preacher. I'm not the preacher this week. I work for the preacher, but the real preacher is the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit preaches through the Word of God. That's how the Lord speaks to people, not in some spooky, mystical kind of way, not some booming voice or vision in the middle of the night. God speaks through His Word, by the power of His Holy Spirit. And I have nothing to say to you, but God has a whole lot to say to us. And in the morning meetings, every morning I get to speak to you in the chapel hour, I'm going to speak to you each morning from the Scripture that is in your God night time each day so that you'll have a little insight into it as you go into your devotional time. But in the evenings, in the evenings, every night, I'm going to preach to you this week from the same book of the Bible. 
I'm in a lot of camps. I've been in lots of camps all summer long, actually. And each week as I come to camp, I'm not thinking which of my sermons I'm going to preach. And as a general rule, I'm not even speaking the same messages because I try to pray one way. Lord, where in the Bible do you want us to be this week? Here's what I discovered. If I can find where God wants us to be in Scripture, I am sure God will speak to us. And over the last few days, I've been praying about this week at camp, looking forward to it. And God has led me to a certain book of the Bible that, in fact, I've been reading through devotionally recently. I finished it the other day. When I got to the end, the Holy Spirit said, go back through it again. So I started again. Today, I finished it a second time. And tomorrow morning, I'm going to start it a third time. I kind of pitched my tent, drove a stake in the ground there, and I've been digging in it. And God's been speaking to me. So I'm going to share some things with you this week that God's speaking to me about from the gospel according to Mark. How many of you have a Bible? Hold your Bible up in the air just a second. You have a Bible? Good. you got to get where you can look at a Bible. So I want you to open your Bible with me to the second book of the New Testament, to the gospel according to Mark. Now, Mark, I think, if I had to really pick one, is my favorite of the four gospel records. I had a teacher in college who used to say his favorite was whichever one he was reading at the time. That's a pretty good answer because it's all the Word of God. Uh, Mark, to me, is the gospel of action. It, he writes like I think. I like action. Forty-two times in 16 chapters, you find the word straightway, which means immediately. I think it's something like uh, 12 out of the 16 chapters start with some conjunction or some word like that. It is a fast-moving drama that once it starts, it doesn't stop till you get to the very end. And when we get done on Friday night, we're going to be in Mark chapter number 16. That's the last chapter. We're going to start tonight in Mark chapter number 1. And I want you to keep your Bible open with me. Because tonight... I want to show you where it all begins. This is the first night. I must tell you that my favorite night of summer camp is the first night. Now, that may sound odd to you. Most people say to me, oh, the last night. Now, the last night's really the great night. Well, I think every night ought to be a great night. But if I could only preach to you one night, I would like to preach Monday night. And I'm going to tell you why. Because early on, I learned that what happens on Monday night determines what happens on all the other nights. That in fact, if on the very first night you'll get at least open to what it is God wants to say to you, there is no limit to how much God will say to you this week and what God can accomplish in your life. The first night is like the launching pad. It's, it's the foundation night. It's the beginning point. It's where we start. And before I read the text tonight, I want to warn you. When I finish preaching in a few minutes, I intend to ask every person in the room to respond. Everybody? Everybody. Some of the counselors are getting nervous now, but I intend to ask everybody to respond. Like if you're breathing, I'm talking to you. How many of you are breathing? Raise your left hand, please. Good. If your neighbor didn't raise their hand, check on them, would you? If you're breathing, I'm talking to you. Let me tell you why. Because you can't be neutral on truth. And in fact, Tuesday night may never come. Do you understand that Jesus may come or Jesus may call for you before we ever have another meeting? Do you understand that the first night, some night, is going to be the last night somebody has? And that what you do with Jesus at this moment may not only determine the rest of the week or the rest of your life, it could determine the rest of your eternity? That's why when you look at Mark, look at how it begins. Look at Mark chapter 1, verse number 1. He begins with these words, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. 
the beginning. Where does it all begin? Mark 1.1 is kind of like the Genesis 1.1 of the New Testament. Remember Genesis 1.1? In the beginning, God created. When you come to Mark 1.1, here's the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Let me tell you something about the, the God of the Bible. Look, the God of this book is the God of new beginnings. Sin may bring you to a dead end. Satan may bring you to a wall. God brings you to another door. With God, it's not endings. It's always a new beginning. It's one of the reasons I love summer camp, because a week like this is a new beginning for you. In other words, you ought to go home different than the way you came. In a few days, if you go home thoroughly tired, very hoarse, with lots of stories about all the fun you had, and that's all, you wasted your time and money. And I wasted my breath. Because the reality is, we didn't just come this week just to have camp. No, no. We came this week to have a new beginning with God. And here's what I've learned from the Bible. All of God's new beginnings start with Jesus. If you want a new beginning, then you must come to know Jesus, the Son of God. This, this is where it all begins. Turn a page in Mark chapter 1 and notice his first disciples. Mark chapter 1 and verse number 16, he walked by the Sea of Galilee. He saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And Jesus said unto them, I love this. What's the first word Jesus ever said to his first disciples? Look at it. Put your eyes on the verse. What's the first word out of his mouth? I'm sorry I didn't hear you. What's the word? One more time. What's the word? The first word Jesus ever said was one word. It was, it was not go do something. It was this. Come to me. It was a word of invitation. It was a word of open arms. In fact, keep reading. Look at the verse. Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. Uh, in the first part of the verse, you got his first word. In the second part of the verse, you got his first work. Look at the verse. The first word is the word come, and the first word that he says to you tonight is come to Jesus. You know what God's trying to do in this room at this moment? He's trying to bring you nearer to Jesus. Some of you, I have no idea who, you've never known the Lord Jesus. Oh, you know about him, but you don't really know him. You don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and that's why God seems so distant and far from you. And Jesus stands here tonight with nail-pierced hands and arms open wide, and guess what he says? The same word he said to Peter and Andrew, the first disciples, the first followers of Jesus, he still says, come, and I love this promise. In another place he says, him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Jesus doesn't push you away. Jesus says, come. He says, if you'll come to me, I'll come to you. When you get to him, what do you find? Oh, you find a new beginning. Because look at the end of the verse. He says, when you get there, Jesus said, I will make you to, mark this word, become. When you come to Jesus, he starts working on you. By the way, it's a good thing. It's a good work. He starts working on you. And when you come to Jesus, he's making you to become what he always created you to become. Jesus doesn't say, go do something. No, no. He says, just come to me. Jesus doesn't say, go be something. No, no. He'll make you what you're supposed to become. He doesn't say become on your own. He says, he will make you to become. In other words, Jesus will do in you and for you and through you and to you 
what you cannot do for yourself and no preacher can do for you and no one else on earth can do for you, only Jesus. When you come to Jesus, Jesus makes you to become what he always intended for you to become. This is where it all begins. Keep turning. Come another page over to chapter number 3. Here's our text for tonight because this is the record of Jesus working in these first followers. This is where it all begins. Look at verse 13. And Mark 3, 13. He goeth up into a mountain and calleth unto him whom he would, and they came unto him. Isn't that simple? Remember his first word, Peter and Andrew, come. What are they doing now? He's got a whole bunch of them, 12 of them. We're going to meet every one of them in just a minute. They did one thing. They came unto him. Verse 14, and he ordained 12 that they should be with him and that he might send them forth to preach and have power to heal sicknesses and cast out devils. And Simon, he surnamed Peter and James the son of Zebedee and John the brother of James, and he surnamed them Boanerges, which is the sons of thunder, and Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon the Canaanite and Judas Iscariot, which also betrayed him. And they went into an house. This is just the start of the story, but this is where it all begins. Look, look at me, please. They came to him. You came to a camp this week. I'm glad you're here. In fact, you came to one of the greatest camps in all the world. I hate to tell you this. I stood in the back of this room today during the orientation and started figuring out the first time I ever came in this building. It brought back a lot of memories, and I started figuring up years because I was a teenager. I was here for summer camp, and I figured up today, I sat in this building as a camper 28 years ago, which means I am old. That's what it means. And some of these leaders back here, they came they came as campers. Now they're bringing people. Some of these counselors that are working here, they started as campers. We, we all came to this camp. It's a wonderful camp, but I will tell you, you can come to this camp all of your life, but if you don't learn to come to Jesus, you missed it all. You didn't come to spend the week with me. You didn't come to spend the week with your friends. You didn't come to spend the week with hundreds of other young people from different parts of the country. No, no. You came for one purpose, because God wants you to come to Jesus. That started in my life 39 years ago. I was just, just a kid. I was sitting at a chapel service. Somebody was talking about Jesus. I don't remember who was speaking that day. don't even remember what, what they said. All I know is God started speaking to me. I can't explain it. Bells didn't ring. Lights didn't flash. I didn't feel funny all over. But I knew God had my attention, and the Lord was speaking to me. And for the first time that I can remember, I realized I, a sinner, needed Jesus, that he was the only Savior. I went to her. She wasn't a preacher. She's a Christian woman that I trusted. She took me in the back of the room. I'll never forget it. She took me in the back of the room. She sat me down in a place. She pulled a curtain, too, so that I wouldn't be embarrassed, and she opened a Bible like the one I'm preaching from tonight. And you know what she told me? She didn't tell me, do this and this and this and this and this. She just told me about Jesus. It was the greatest day of my life. I have made a lot of dumb decisions. I'm just going to be honest with you. I mean, I've made some really bad decisions that I regret. I'd love to have a do-over. But I've never one time, never once in my life, laid in bed at night and thought, if I died tonight, I wish I wasn't going to heaven. That's never crossed my mind. 
I've never once gotten up in the morning and thought, I wish I wasn't a Christian today. Never a single day. And I'm going to tell you why. Because when you come to know the Lord Jesus in a personal way, it radically changes your life. Look, it's wonderful. It, it's not just heaven someday. No, no. It is Him now. Christ comes to live inside of you. When you come to know Jesus, He moves into your life. For the record, He doesn't rent. He buys. He doesn't move in and out, in and out, in and out. He moves in to stay. And when he moves in, guess what? He brings all of his own furniture with him. And he starts the largest remodeling project in the history of the world. And he gets rid of your old couch and all your nastiness. Why? Because he doesn't want all those things in your house anymore. He starts furnishing you now with the new nature that only Jesus Christ can bring into your life. That's why the Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Look at me. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new. I wonder, have you ever met Jesus like that? This, this is where it all begins. So go with me. Take a trip. Back in time, 2,000 years, halfway around the world. Come on. We're going to take a trip. Use a little sanctified imagination. We've got to go up. That's where Jesus was. Got to go up on the mountain. Jesus sits down, and when he gets there, he calls a group of people to him. I'm going to show you who those people are in just a moment, but they had a meeting, kind of like we're having a meeting this week, and Jesus starts speaking to them and spending time with them. But it wasn't just geographical. No, no, no. It wasn't just geographical, and it wasn't circumstantial. It was spiritual. Do you understand that it's not just about being at the wilds? No. And it's not just about being with your youth group, and it's not even about hearing my sermons it is about you knowing Jesus in a personal way. And it's not just for those of you who've never met him. Some of you, some of you got saved years ago, but that's all it's ever been to you. You check a box and say, I'm not going to hell someday. I'm glad you're not going to hell someday. But I wonder, how well do you know Jesus today? May I answer that question? You know him as well as you want to. A camp like this is not just for people to get saved it's for everybody that knows Jesus as their Savior to come on, keep coming near to Jesus. See, you come to Him to receive Him as your Savior, but the rest of the Christian life, you keep coming after Him, nearer and nearer to Christ. This is where it all begins. Let me show you two or three simple things from our verses tonight. Would you write them down somewhere if you're able to do that? And by the way, in the next few meetings, try to bring a, a pen, something to write on, because I want you to write some things down. I'm going to tell you why. You're going to hear so much this week, and you're going to live so much this week, that when you get home, you're going to forget a lot of things. And if you write it down, it'll help you remember it. I don't care if you remember my name. I don't care if you remember all the outlines, but I want you to remember something God shows you from the Bible. Here's the first thing. Would you write it down? Here's where it all begins. Jesus first calls you to himself. I love this. Everybody look at Mark chapter 3 and verse 13. He goeth up into a mountain and calleth unto him whom he would. And they came unto him. He called, they came. You know what I'm convinced of? I'm convinced Jesus is still calling, but lots of people aren't coming. See, the calling part, that's his part. The coming part, that's our part. Not a question of if is God going to speak. God's speaking right now. The question is, are you listening? Do you hear the music in this room? Shh. Beautiful music. Do you hear it? 
Somebody said, the preacher's lost his mind or his hearing one. There's no music in this room. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, it's here, and I can prove it to you. Bring me a radio, and let me start to tune the dial just a little bit. And suddenly, when I hit the right frequency, somebody's going to say, oh, we know that song, or, or we recognize that voice, or, or we listen to that, that station on the radio. Watch, please. The music was here all along, but something had to get on the frequency to receive it. Listen to me. God is speaking at this moment, but He's looking for some young men and some young women who are in tune enough with heaven to know what it is God is saying to them. He begins by calling us to himself. Look at the verse. Look at his direction. The Bible says, he goeth up into a mountain. Now, you might just think that's geographical. I love the mountains. I live in the mountains. Where I live is about 3,200 feet above sea level, which means we get a lot of snow in the winter. And I was driving in here today, winding through the mountains. How many of you got sick coming in here today? Just curious. Yeah. I love it. I like winding through the mountains. I love ascending up. I like high elevation. But I think there's a beautiful picture here. Look, Jesus led them away from the multitude, above all the fray below, the ascended life, far above where the rest of the world was content to live. That's where Jesus took his disciples. Let me tell you what the Christian life is, young people. The Christian life is not a descending life. It is an ascending life. The devil gives you his best up front, and it's all downhill from there. But Jesus? Oh, Jesus always saves the best for last. The path of the just is as a shining light that shineth more and more under the perfect day. Oh, listen with your heart, young lady, young man. God has so much for you. Jesus has big plans for your life. Sin will drive you in the ground, and the devil will stomp a man down. But what does Jesus do? He lifts them up. That's what he does. And then if you look at the verse, you see not only his direction, you see his desire. He goeth up into a mountain and calleth unto him whom he would. Now we know, of course, there's 12 men identified that he wanted to make the first disciples, the first followers. But let me tell you who he wants today. And I'm not going to give you my word. I'm going to give you God's word. It's not what I said. It's what he said. He said in 1 Timothy that he will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Would you like to know what all means? All means all, and that's all all means. All. He said in 2 Peter that his long-suffering to us were, watch this, not willing that any should perish, but that, there's that word again, all should come to repentance. God's great arm of love and mercy and grace open to all who will come. Not willing that any should perish. I'm going to tell you the saddest thing that could happen this week. The saddest thing that could happen this week. If somebody comes into this camp and leaves without Jesus and goes to hell forever. The night I sat here 28 years ago, Tom Farrell was preaching. I didn't know that Tom Farrell would become my friend, encourager. Been thinking about him all day today. Thought about him driving in. He stood here and preached lots of weeks, didn't he? Some of you heard him. Some of you didn't, but you know his name. I remember the night he preached when I was here, and there are dozens of young people that came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you where Tom Farrell is tonight. They're going to bury his body this week, but he's not here. No, he's already checked out and gone to glory. I'm going to tell you where he is. He's in heaven at this moment. But as surely as there's a real heaven, there's a real hell. 
And Jesus says, my desire is I want you to come to me. It's not just a place. It's a person. And then look at the verse again. The Bible says, and he ordained 12, verse 14, that they should be, oh, don't miss these two words, with him. Here's his greatest delight. What is his delight? He wants you to be with him. Do you understand that's really the story of the whole Bible? Why did God come walking through the garden in the cool of the day in Eden? One reason. He wanted to be with them. Why did God give Israel a tabernacle in the wilderness? Remember that tent they moved around from place to place and the glory cloud would come down and rest upon it? Why would he do that? One reason, he wanted to be with them. Why did Jesus come? Well, his name tells you. His name is Emmanuel, which means God with us. God wanted to be with us. When you get saved, the Holy Spirit, God living inside of you, moves into your heart. Why does God give the Holy Spirit to every believer? One reason, because God wants to be with us. Why, why does God create a heaven so that we can go there someday? It's not just to go there. No, no. This is the heart of God. God wants you to be with Him, and God wants to be with you. And there's only one thing standing between you and God, and that's our sin. And that's why Jesus came. You know what's really interesting? This little expression that they should be with him actually would become the thing that set these men apart the rest of their life. In the book of Acts, they took knowledge of them that they had been, what, with Jesus. I wonder, are you really with him? Everybody may think you're with the program, like you're really with it, but I, that's not what I'm asking. I'm not asking you're with somebody's program. I'm asking tonight, are you with Jesus? And is Jesus with you. I was thinking earlier today, we talk a lot about witnessing. You hear the word witness and we say, go witness, go witness, go witness. Like it's something to do. It's not something to do. It's something to be. If you'll be what you ought to be, you'll do what you ought to do. Take the wit word witness apart. It's two words, withness. Look, please, you can't share what you don't have. You can't give what you haven't received. And I'm going to tell you where it all begins. Jesus is calling us to himself. There's a second truth. Would you write it down? Jesus not only calls us to himself, he then sends you home different than you came. I like that. This is the rest of the story. Look at verse number 14. Not only that they would be with him and the conjunction is a revelation and that he might send them forth to preach and to have power. You see, first they're coming to him, then they're going for him. First they're disciples, followers, learners, then their apostles sent one. First, they are growing near to God, and then their lives are so radically changed that when they leave Jesus' presence, Jesus' presence goes with them. Can I tell you what I'm praying for this week? I'm not trying to be spooky, but I'm praying that God will do such a deep work in our hearts and lives this week that when this meeting is done and we all pack up, get back on those buses and vans and go back home, when we get there, people will say, I don't know what happened to those young people this week, but I think they've been in the presence of Jesus Christ. Let me just tell you, when you get near the great God of glory, it starts rubbing off on you. You can't have an encounter with Jesus and be the same person. Jesus didn't bring you to him just so you'd feel better. Jesus brought you to him. So you'd leave different than you came. You cannot make a difference until you're willing to be different. You cannot make your life count until you've had your own personal encounter with Jesus Christ. I've marked two phrases in my Bible. In verse 14, to preach, and in verse 15, to have power. I really like this. 
Everybody look at me just a second. There are young men in this room that God will call to preach. I'm not going to call you to preach. That's not between me and you. That's between you and Jesus. But I'm sure in a group this size, there are some young men that God will lead to be in the ministry. There are some young women that God will lead like he did my wife to surrender to full-time service or to be a missionary, to do something for the Lord. But tonight, that's not what I'm talking about. No, no. I'm not preaching for some tonight. I'm preaching for all tonight because I'm going to tell you something. This was not just something a handful of men were going to do. No, Jesus is saying, I'm going to so change my followers that they are going to be used to become leaders of other people. And I'll tell you the kind of difference he makes when he sends you home. He'll give you something to say. They went to preach. Right now, some of you don't have a testimony. Let's just get blunt. I put you on the spot right now and said, stand and tell us what Jesus means to you. Stand and tell me what the Lord's done in your life. Young lady, stand, stand and tell me about Christ. Tell me what God's doing in you right now. Some of you don't have a story to tell, but you will have a story to tell if you just come to Jesus. Because watch, please, it's not making up some story. It's having an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you have that, nobody's going to have to pump you, prime you, and plead with you to get you to say a word about Jesus. You'll be like the apostles who could not help but speak the things they'd seen and heard. Sin closes you up, but Jesus opens you up. And then, not only to preach, look at it, to have power. Aren't some of you tired of living defeated lives? I mean, seriously. I know it's the first night. Let's cut to the bottom line. Aren't some of you sick of yourself, sick of your besetting sins, sick of living defeated lives, sick of joyless Christianity? Jesus says, I offer much more than that. I'm going to give you power. Look, Jesus is the conqueror. He conquered death, hell, and the grave. And the Bible says he makes us more than conquerors through him that loved us. Jesus calls you to himself. He sends you home different, but don't miss this one because this one has to come between the two. Would you write it down, number three? He has to change you. Ouch. That's the part we don't like. All right, I'll come to Jesus and pray a prayer. Well, you know, I'll go home and try to be a different person. No, no, you missed it. You missed it. Jesus has to transform you from the inside out. Philippians 2.13 says, It is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do you know this list that he gives here of men? This is not just information like, oh, yeah, I know the 12 apostles. No. You know why God tells us who they were and what he did in them? To show us the kind of difference he can make in our lives. Let's take the list. Got your Bible open? Look at Mark chapter number 3. Let's start at the end of the list and go back. Go all the way to the end of the list. The last guy on the list, verse 19, what's his name, please? Say it out loud. What's his name? He's last on every list. you know why he's last? Because he wasn't really a follower of Jesus. Oh, he was named with them, and he was numbered with them, but he really wasn't one of them. Look, please, this is the only one in the group who did not have his heart changed. The sad reality is Judas Iscariot went to hell. Acts 1 says that. He went to his own place. Oh, he regretted the decision he made, but he never believed on Christ. He was, he was, excuse me, on the outside looking in. And some of you, 
You come from great churches and good youth groups or maybe even a wonderful family. But spiritually speaking, you're still on the outside looking in. When all these people get up here and sing about Christ and the joy of Christ, it's just, you know, it's, it's foreign to you because Christ is just a name instead of your friend and companion. That was Judas Iscariot. He was never changed. Let's keep going backwards. Look at verse 18. We're going to work our way back up to the top of the list. you got Simon the Canaanite. Now, here's the others. They're all changed in some way. Simon the Canaanite, you know what he was? He was a politician. <laughs> he belonged to the zealots. And, in fact, some places he's called Simon Zelotes. You know what they believed? They believed that if they get enough people, they could march on Rome and overthrow Caesar and declare their own liberty. They thought force was the answer. And I love this. Jesus took that guy and so radically transformed his life that he no longer thought force was the answer. He realized faith was the answer. He, he no longer believed that politics would straighten it all out. He finally realized there was only one Savior, and his name is Jesus Christ. That's a change. Keep backing up. You got a guy named Thaddeus. He's called also Judas. He's also called Lebius, not Judas Iscariot. In other places, same guy, different names. This was the guy who questioned Jesus one day and said, Why don't you show yourself to the whole world? Sounds like a guy with questions. Some of you got questions. Let me let you in a little secret. It's all right to have questions as long as you know where to go for the answers. Some of you, the devil's lying to you right now. He's telling you you're the only person in the room that has that question, that fear, that uncertainty, and you're afraid to even talk about it. Listen, stop listening to the devil. He's a liar and the father of it, and his lies come straight from the pit of hell. Jesus' truth will set you free. And this man, Thaddeus, he's proof of it. You know what he did? In the end, they said that he was shot through with arrows in Mesopotamia while he was preaching the gospel. Sounds to me like a guy who got his question mark straightened out to exclamation points and died believing something for certain. Keep backing up. You see James there, the son of Alphaeus? They, they call him James the Less in some place. Some Bible teachers believe it's because he was short. I don't know if that's true or not. But whatever it was, do you know he became a pastor? Do you know he was beheaded for his faith? This is a guy... Maybe short of stature, maybe, maybe not as famous as the other James. We don't know a whole lot about him, but he gave his life to Jesus and the Lord made it count. Oh, young person, God can do more with your life than you ever dreamed in a thousand lifetimes if you'll yield it to Jesus Christ. He changed him. Look at the list again. Keep backing up. Thomas, poor old Thomas. We love to pick on him, don't we? How'd you like an adjective to be on the front of your name forever? What do we call him on the count of three? One, two, three. Doubting Thomas. I was preaching in India a couple years ago. We had a glorious meeting, people coming to Christ. And one of the men there, one of the Indian men said, do you know why there's such a, such a, a gospel uh, openness in certain areas of India? And I said, no, tell me about that. He said, Thomas evangelized India. I said, hold up a second. Thomas? You mean doubting Thomas? Yes. Tradition says that Thomas went to India with the gospel of Christ, the coastal areas, and introduced them to Jesus Christ. Can you imagine a guy who had doubt at the beginning but strong faith at the end? That's the change Jesus brings in a life. Keep backing up. You got Matthew, a tax collector who left everything to follow Jesus. You got Bartholomew, also called Nathaniel, an early believer. They say he was flayed alive. 
because he refused to recant his faith in Jesus. I don't know about you. That doesn't sound like people who are just holding on to some fairy tale or figment of imagination. Sounds like a group of men that got captured by the truth and consumed by Calvary and controlled by the love of God. That's the change Jesus brings into a life. Do you know Jesus like that? Look at the list again. Back on up. We've got Philip. Little known is about Philip. He was a practical kind of guy. Every time he shows up in the gospel records, he's working with the details. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're the behind-the-scenes guy. Maybe you say, I'm never going to stand on that platform and preach. Well, you may or you may not. Here's a beautiful reality. God has something different for all of us but unique for you. Do you understand these men were all very different people? Everybody look at the person next to you right now. Turn. Don't look at me. Stare at the person seated next to you. Gaze into their lovely eyes just a moment. Some of you sat next to the wrong person. I'm very sorry about that. Are they different than you, yes or no? How many of you are grateful you're different than them? Would you raise your hand? Yes. Look, look at me just a second. I'm different than you. You're different than me. Watch, please. But God made it that way. And these original disciples, very different personalities. Listen to me. The issue is not personality. It is spirituality. See, some of you, just because of your personality, everybody thinks you're spiritual, but you're not. You just got a nice personality. And some of you are a little shy and timid and hesitant about things because that's kind of your personality. You think, I don't know if I could ever do anything for Jesus. Oh, really? Why don't you ask Philip about that? Because when Jesus has his rightful place in your life, friend, he changes you into the person he wants you to be. Look at the list again. You got Andrew, a soul winner. He brought his brother Simon Peter to Jesus, he was crucified for his faith. And then you come to the, to the inner circle. Everybody look at the first three names on the list. It's found in verse 16 and verse 17. Here are the ones who were most changed. Mark uses the term the twelve ten times, but within that group, there was another group. They were the inner circle disciples. They were Peter and James and John. Hey, let me ask you a question. How close do you want to be? Are you content to be on the, on the periphery looking in, or do you want to be as close to Jesus as you can get? Would you like to go up on the Mount of Transfiguration or you want to be left at the bottom? Would, would you like to go into the Garden of Gethsemane or you want to pray outside? Would you like to go into the room when Jairus' daughter is raised from the dead or you want to wait outside the house? Hey, you want to just say you're a disciple or would you like to be an inner circle disciple? And here's something the Lord really helped me with. I had never noticed this before. Do you realize Peter, James, and John are the only three disciples that Jesus changed their names? Everybody else got to keep their name. Peter, James, and John, look at it. In verse 16, Simon, Jesus surnamed Peter, and James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, he surnamed them Boanerges, which is the sons of thunder. He looked him in the face and said, boys, I'm changing your name, changing your name, changing your name. You got to understand, in Bible days, names meant something. They carried meaning. Jesus changed their name because he was telling them, I'm getting ready to change your nature. By the way, he didn't change their name after he changed everything in them. He changed it before to give them a little hint of the men he was going to make them. Look, you are not yet what Jesus has for you to be, but if you'll let God begin to work in you now through Jesus Christ, he will make you into the person he wants you to become. In fact, at this particular day, they were anything but that. Simon, a rock? That's what Peter means, rock. Simon was no rock. He was the most emotional, unpredictable, vacillating, stick-your-foot-in-your-mouth disciple of the group. And Jesus looks him in the face and says, hmm, 
Your name's going to be Peter, a rock. The most stable thing. Somebody said, how'd that turn out? Oh, pretty good. He stood up on the day of Pentecost and preached, and 3,000 people got saved. Jesus said, strengthen the brethren, so he wrote First and Second Peter. He was the first to open the door of faith to the Gentiles in Acts 10, and the house of Cornelius got saved. I'm telling you, God can change you, and then God can use you if you'll put your life in Christ's hands. And James and John, sons of thunder, Mm-mm. mama's boys, that's what they were. Read the gospel records. Their mother came and said, Jesus, I'd like for you to put one of my sons on the right hand and one on the left hand. I don't know if they were embarrassed or not. I don't think they were because they turned right around and asked for the very same thing. And Jesus took a couple of mama's boys, put the power of the Holy Spirit of God in them, made them the sons of thunder, let James become a pastor and the first martyr, and let John become a man who wrote a big part of the New Testament and was exiled to the Isle of Patmos and got the last book of our Bible, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Don't tell me Jesus can't change your life. And you know what's really interesting? Peter, on one hand, was the oldest of the disciples, and John was the youngest. And some of you look at old people and think, well, maybe God could use them. No, no, you missed it. It's not about age. It's about heart. You may be the youngest person in the room tonight, but if you let Jesus work in you, hey, it's where it all begins. The Welsh Revival, one of the greatest revivals in history, I love to read about revivals, but the revival in Wales is one of my favorites. It didn't just rock Wales, it rocked the world. Hundreds of thousands of people saved. There was a young preacher in the Welsh Revival. His name was Evan Roberts. He was only in his 20s. He wasn't even that much of a preacher, to be honest with you. They said he really wasn't a great orator, but he knew how to pray. And everybody talks about Evan Roberts and how God used Evan Roberts. No, no, that's not where it began. Sorry. You know how Evan Roberts learned to pray? He learned to pray one night listening to an old man by the name of Seth Joshua pray. And that old man prayed this, Oh, God, bend me. He was praying, God, break my heart, humble me bend me. And that prayer so captured Evan Roberts, it became the prayer of the Welsh Revival. They said people all over the country were praying that prayer, oh God, bend me. And it became the great entry point for God to work in that country and around the world. But I'm sorry, that that wasn't where it started either. You know how Seth Joshua became a Christian? His brother prayed for him. Some of you you got friends in here that are lost. Some of you, you got family members at home that are lost. Have you prayed for them? Are you praying now? His brother prayed for him. Seth Joshua was a young man living a wild life. He's walking through town one night, and they were having a church meeting in an old house, a big mansion, really. It wasn't a church building. And he heard sounds coming from inside, and he got up close to the door, and he heard people praising God. And he thought, that's different. And about that time, a guy came outside and said, Hey, hey, your brother's in here, and your brother just prayed for you. And it made him mad. He said, You telling me my brother prayed for me out loud, said my name to all those people, told everybody I wasn't a Christian? He said, Yes, but he's praying for you to be saved. And Seth Joshua got so ticked off, he was going to go in and whip his brother. And when he got into the building, he came under conviction of sin. 
a young girl stood up, her name unknown, and she started to sing, and this is what she sang. I'm but a little pilgrim, my journey's just begun. They say I shall meet sorrow before my journey's done. The world is full of trouble and suffering, they say, but I will follow Jesus all the way. They said when that little girl finished her song, Seth Joshua was under such Holy Spirit conviction, he literally shouted at the top of his lungs. He, and now he didn't care what anybody heard or what anybody thought of him. He shouted at the top of his lungs, I'm going to hell. And somebody said, Jesus will save you. And Seth Joshua knelt beside a rickety old chair. He came to Jesus. And that, that's where it all began. It didn't begin with a sweeping revival. It didn't begin with a preacher. It didn't begin with an old man's prayer. It began with one young man coming to Jesus. Seth Joshua later said that the next morning he got up and the whole world looked different. It was like springtime all day long. The whole world had changed, but really the world hadn't changed. He had changed, and it all happened when he came to Jesus. He was walking by a bar, and one of his old buddies said, Hey, man, come in and have a drink. And they said, without hesitation, Seth Joshua said, Hey, buddy, I found another well. Come with me. I'll show you where you can get a really good drink. Let me tell you what this world needs. Our world is an immense. You believe this week at camp could change that? Absolutely. You think the Holy Ghost could set something in motion tonight that could touch the world? Absolutely. I'm going to tell you where it begins. It begins with some young people coming to Jesus. If this Bible message has been used of God in your life, or we can pray for you in some definite way, please contact us at enjoyingthejourney.org. We hope you will share the message with others who may also be encouraged by it. For additional full-length Bible messages, please visit Dr. Scott Pauley's YouTube channel. Tomorrow is the Lord's Day, and we want to encourage you to be faithful to attend a Bible-preaching church in your area this Sunday. Thank you for listening to The Weekend Pulpit. And don't miss Enjoying the Journey daily devotional podcast each Monday through Friday.